Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 52. I'm Kip Clark, and today with me in the studio we have another guest, Zach Caputo. Hey, how's it going, Kip? It's going very well. How are you? I'm doing great. So today you want to talk about dreams, and my first question for you, and perhaps the audience wonders as well, why is that an important topic? Dreams for me, I guess what I was realizing when you asked me if I had anything in particular that I wanted to talk about, dreams for me have always been a strangely influential thing on my life in terms of decisions I've made, things I've come to terms with, and just sort of like as an aid for closure as well as for sort of this search for something else that I want to do with life in general. So they've been both an impetus as well as a tool for closing the book on other things that have sort of remained unsolved for me. Okay. That makes sense. That absolutely makes sense. Do you think your experiences with dreams are unique or do you think a lot of people experience closure and other influential moments through dreams? I wish I could say that I thought they were unique. A lot of people that I've talked to, especially people who have had a significant impact on my life, have sort of said similar things about dreams and that's sort of what made me put more weight behind dreams I was having and sort of try to tap into that more. Okay, then I guess I would ask as a personal anecdote, what dreams come to mind when you think of influential dreams? Sure. One in particular was sort of the one that made me realize that I wanted to come to Kenyon. For backstory, I had applied to a lot of other schools, and Kenyon wasn't even really on my radar. So a friend of mine's sister, she had gone to Kenyon, and she was like, hey, I, I hear you haven't really considered Kenyon as much, and I'd like to sit down and talk to you about it, blah, blah, blah. I sat down with her. It was great. I went home and I was like, well, like, Kenyon isn't really, like, I still don't know. I'd applied to Elon and Swarthmore and Haverford and a couple other schools. And so that night I was sort of mulling it over and went to sleep. And I had a dream that I was Skyping with my roommate, who I had never seen or imagined before, at Kenyon, and having just sort of an amazing conversation with them. And I didn't remember the particulars of the conversation, and I didn't really remember much except for a very visceral feeling that I had while I was having the conversation that was very, very comfortable. It was very warm. It was just nice, you know? And so that feeling sort of stuck with me, I guess. And that raw feeling-esque quality stuck with me. And so that was sort of, I guess, my calling, if you want to say that, to come to Kenya, not to put too much gravitas on it. And then I applied. It was the last day of the early decision two deadline. And I pulled all of my other applications, applied to Kenya and ED2, got in. And then here we are right now. I think that's really interesting, especially because while qualities like warm and comfort might not be specifically associated with Kenyon, the fact that you had a great conversation with someone who was going to be your roommate or the hypothetical roommate, to me, is a very Kenyan-esque thing. And I know that a lot of colleges try to differentiate themselves and why they're so special. But to me, honestly, one of the best things about Kenyon that I think is epitomized through the podcast and other mediums like it is the sense that I think Kenyan students know how to talk sure. about the mundane absolutely, and about really serious things. There are plenty of groups on campus that care about political issues, issues of gender, issues of race, and other things. And of course, they talk about them. They start conversations and it's not always comfortable, but I think Kenyan students more than many people I know are really excited to talk about things. And of course, the audience should know how excited you were to come in here today <laughs> to talk about dreams. And that's given me a ton of energy. And I think that's a very Kenyan principle. So it's interesting to me that you had that type of dream. Right. And also let the record show, I was mostly excited because, you know, you have a certain reputation of being a certain person who uh, does really cool things, very interesting things. And you just have sort of this aura of cool. So uh, <laughs> that's where a lot of my excitement is coming from. So this I is, appreciate uh, that. Yeah. 
Just real quick, by the way, you should maybe consider changing the name of this podcast to Aura of Cool if you want to make a note of that. Just Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> to respond in turn with dreams that I've had of significant influence, many of them have been either dark or really upsetting. And I've woken up from these dreams and really thought about the content of the dream or what was going on. For example, in some very arbitrary dream, I was on a golf course and my grandfather approached me out of nowhere and said, you should be really grateful for all these things you're enjoying. People overseas are dying for your rights. <laughs> and it was the most <laughs> arbitrary dream because my grandfather has very rarely, if ever, talked to me about being ungrateful or spoiled in that way. And when I woke up from the dream, I thought about it for a really long time and came to the conclusion that, yeah, I'm probably not reflecting on all the sacrifices that other people are making, plenty of whom will never know me that are giving me the right to certain liberties that I enjoy in my life and maybe take for granted. And it was really interesting. This came from a dream, not even as a result of a conversation that I'd had with my grandfather, but an imagined conversation. And that was fascinating to me, especially because of how jarring it was in the dream. The context sure. of the dream was not appreciation. I don't know what I was doing on the golf course, but for some reason he just came up and scolded me. And I remember feeling really uncomfortable after the dream was over. And that's something I'd like to throw back to you is the impressions that dreams can leave. Are there certain dreams other than, let's say, the Kenyan acceptance dream, as I'll call it, right. that you still remember or resonate with you for certain reasons? Absolutely. Yeah, just because I used that as an example doesn't necessarily mean that that is sort of the precedent that has been set in my dreams. In like kind, I've had a lot of very dark, very disturbing dreams, not as of late, fortunately. But one in particular that stands out is a recurring nightmare that I had, I think it was maybe sixth grade, seventh grade. I don't even remember sort of the circumstances that surrounded the inception of this dream, but uh, it still sticks with me. And it later came back 12th grade, the end of high school. It sort of came back and I started having this dream again almost every other night. In this dream, I was in my living room watching TV with my father. My living room is sort of set up where there's a lot of open windows on one side that look out onto my driveway, which is a really long, winding, dirt driveway that sort of snakes down through my property. I live in about 10 acres. And we're sitting there watching TV, and we look out the window, and these three white Escalades are driving up the driveway. I sort of start feeling panicky, and my dad's like, don't worry, I'm going to go see what they want. It's probably just neighbors asking for something. So he goes outside, and I'm watching through the window as he goes outside, and these Escalades pull up, and he goes up to the first one and he knocks on the window and the guy rolls down the window and all I see is him sticking his hand out the window with a gun and shooting my dad in the head. And then for the rest of the dream, I like immediately, I don't know if I'm sure you've experienced this. It's not even like, it feels like cold water is dumped on your head. It's just like immediate, like pure blanching fear. So I sort of like, oh my God, I freeze and I like, I'm running through the house looking for my mom and my sister and I grab them and I'm like, we have to go, we have to run. There are these men here. Dad has been killed. We have to get out of here. And so we're like running around my Sound property. Very composed for someone in this scenario. Yeah, no, 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 no. That's not at all how it goes in the dream. And so we're running around my property and I'm dragging my mom and sister. They can't keep up with me for some reason. They're really slow. And so I'm really frustrated with that. And I'm also terrified. You know, these guys are coming behind us. I don't see them, but I know that they're gaining on us. And then eventually they both fall, they trip and I can't pick them up. And so I turn and start running. I hear them get shot behind me and I'm scrambling for cover. And then I start slowing down and I'm very conscious of how I'm slowing down and I can't run faster. And eventually I trip, land on my face and wake up right then. And so that stuck with me for a long time. 
as an 18 year old having that dream, I think it was a little less terrifying than it was for me as a 12 year old having that dream. But it was still like the feeling that you wake up with just doesn't really leave you when you have a dream like that. Absolutely. I think that is really interesting. One thing that I would like to note to the audience who isn't here with us is that I was smiling and Zach, you were as well throughout points in the story. And I don't think that's because the dream itself was funny, but because we're aware of how ridiculous certain elements are in a dream, sure, that it is funny outside of a dream. But the amazing thing is that within a dream, you buy it completely. Oh, it's that's it's all that there is. Exactly. Yeah. And it becomes your reality for those hours or however long the dream lasts that you absolutely give in to whatever's presented to you. And it's terrifying, right. but it's also ridiculous at the same time. And I'm also reminded when you talk about your sister and mother moving more slowly than you were, how frustrating that can be in a dream. Yeah. And I've had so many dreams where I'm running for some reason and it feels like I'm pressing through either butter or honey and I can't get through as quickly as I need to, which is terrifying and frustrating and it's such a weird feeling. I've had some dreams where physical feelings last with me in the same way that you woke up when you hit the floor in that dream, a dream I remember where I was biking and I turned the bike on its side and slid underneath a car and as the car literally ran over me, I woke up and my body had this weird ache in my lower legs and I didn't understand why. It was a very peculiar phenomenon. I know Hector in earlier episodes has talked about sleep paralysis, which is a very weird phenomenon. Yeah, I actually, it's funny you should bring that up. This has never happened to me before and I recently had my first encounter with sleep paralysis two weeks ago and it's very, very disconcerting. I don't know how much you guys have talked about it or just the phenomenons that not go with ton. it. Not a ton. Are you familiar with the old hag phenomenon? I think I am, but remind me what it is. The old hag is this phenomenon that many people experience accompanying sleep paralysis. So you wake up and you're awake and you know you're awake and you can't move. And what a lot of people experience or see is someone, usually an old woman, coming into their room and sitting on their chest. And so just sort of climbing on top of them while they're awake, they're witnessing this. And so I had a very similar experience. This was probably two and a half, three weeks ago. I woke up, my room was dark and I couldn't move. And I was like, okay, well, maybe I'm still asleep. And I sort of shook my head and couldn't really do anything else. I was like, no, I'm I'm definitely awake. And then I had this sense that there was someone in the room. It wasn't an old hag. It was actually, it was a student, a female student. So this girl comes into the room and got on top of me. Not at all in a sexual way, in a very terrifying way. Got on top of me and sat on my chest and I literally couldn't breathe. I lost my breath for about, it must have been only five seconds. It felt like a year. And so I'm laying there looking up at this person and then I blink and it was gone. And I like sat up and there wasn't anybody in the room. And it was a very jarring experience. In terms of another jarring experience that I've had, which calls back to your terrifying dream that you remember, One of the most terrifying and upsetting dreams I've ever had. It was very, very strange in so many ways. I'm an avid watcher of Friends, but I'm not really a fan of Friends as a comedy. I don't find it all that entertaining. I was watching Friends this morning. It's just sort of like gray comedic noise is how I would describe it. I'm not terribly amused by Aniston and the rest. I just think it's easy to fall asleep to. And a lot of my dreams have been Friends related. So back in ninth or 10th grade, when I was watching a lot of Friends episodes, I remember one particular dream where I was hanging out with a cast of Friends and we went down into a basement at some point. We were kayaking or canoeing, I can't remember, (laughs) in this underground ocean. And out of nowhere, a floating mermaid appears. (laughs) 
not on the surface of the water, but in midair. She was really annoying. We were all exchanging looks about how frustrating and annoying she was. We were trying to ditch her. Then we get back to shore, and there's a two-door system to get from the dock we were on back into the basement, kind of like an airlock type thing where there's just an intervening room. And they were all untying their shoes for some reason. (laughs) I was the last one to finish tying my shoes. And here's where the dream takes a horrible twist. Because I found her to be so annoying, I decided at a moment's notice to try and lock her in that room so we wouldn't have to deal with her. Who? The mermaid. Oh, the mermaid. So the rest of the cast of friends (laughs) leaves this room. I, moving very, very quickly, untie my shoes and dash for the door. As I'm doing that, this mermaid turns into a light bulb that begins chasing me around the floor like a small dog. I was, for some reason, very terrified of this. I get to the door, close it, and hold it shut. And I guess she turns back into a mermaid because she's banging on the door. And I wouldn't let her out in the same way that, like, a middle school bully would lock someone in that closet. And I hold the door closed for a long time. And then she stops banging on the door. And I hear a crash of glass. And so we all went back into the room. And there was a window that we hadn't noticed before. And there's a circular hole the size of, let's say, a light bulb. And we looked out. And there was this beautiful autumn landscape with a river running down the middle. And I inherently knew that she had killed herself. And I woke up somewhere around then, and I was distraught and really upset with myself because for some reason or another, apparently to appease millionaire cast members that I would never meet, I had chosen to force this individual to kill herself, and it still sticks with me. And I remember a lot of visceral moments from that dream and the guilt I felt upon waking up, which is ridiculous because it didn't happen. And I would never do that to a person in real life, but it was a terrifying moment. Has this affected the way you watch Friends to this day? (laughs) No, I don't think that it has. I've definitely been uncomfortable when I recall the dream, but I don't think it's affected the way I've watched Friends. I would say as a topic that relates to Friends, we were talking about media consumption and how that affects dreams, which I think is very pertinent. One anecdote I'd like to provide is that some studies have concluded that those currently alive today who are over 55 or grew up with black and white television are more likely to have black and white dreams because they consumed a lot of black and white monochrome media. And I think that's really interesting, and I'd love to hear what you think about how media affects our dreams. That is really interesting. I know, in particular, I have had several dreams where I'll be watching a movie or a TV show the night before, or just have been binging on that show, and will, similar to the Friends thing, characters from that show or movie will pop up in your dream. And it's interesting how pervasive television is, especially today with Netflix and Hulu and Yahoo even is doing new shows. It's interesting how much these constructs can sort of infiltrate dreams, which to me are sort of some of the most intimate moments that you can have with yourself, with your subconscious, just sort of reflecting on what is going on with you. I haven't had anything like the friend's dream that can really speak to something like that. But it is definitely interesting how much they can shape our dreams and how much they shape just the way we sleep and the way we think about what is going on in our lives. Because at the end of the day, if you are left with such a strong feeling from a dream, and that is from a TV show or a movie, sort of interesting to think about how much we are being not manipulated, that's a pretty strong word, but how much our lives, our daily lives are affected by television and film and even advertisements. I had a dream about somebody I saw in a commercial 
It wasn't necessarily terrifying or amazing, but it was just this really, really nice guy. You might have seen him. He's like the face of the Home Depot commercials. Like weathered, old, friendly, capable man with a Home Depot apron on who uh, was just helping me out in a dream. I was like, hey, you're the Home Depot guy. He was like, yes, I am. And that was basically all that happened. But I mean, in terms of advertisements and advertising and media in general, it's interesting how much they affect our daily lives. I've often heard, and this is horrifying and hopefully won't ever come true, that plenty of corporations and other people that are researching certain psychological phenomenon would love to get a stake in a dream where they can advertise to you in your dreams. And we'd all like to believe that's not possible, but increasingly technology surprises us. And personally, I wouldn't be terribly shocked if a hundred years from now, there were companies that were capable of that, which would be very upsetting. But I think increasingly dreams, like you said, are very intimate things and plenty of people would like to impact that intimacy of the dream. So yeah, I guess sort of thinking of, especially being left with a feeling in a dream, whether it's guilt that you felt after this mermaid had killed herself, or just for me with this absolute terror of this nightmare I had, that sort of brings up for me the notion of lucid dreaming. I don't know if you've had any experience with lucid dreaming or... I haven't. I have one anecdote to share about my father, but I think lucid dreaming itself could be another conversation someday. I think there's a lot to say about it. What were you going to say? Well, just that after I started having this nightmare again in 12th grade, that was when I sort of decided that I wanted to try lucid dreaming. And I did successfully several times, which is a really, really cool feeling because so much that you are affected by dreams and you sort of have this absolute helplessness in some dreams, especially in nightmares, it's interesting how you can sort of take control of a world that is entirely your imagination and you can do almost whatever you want. Absolutely. The anecdote about my father, if I'm recalling it correctly, involves his terror as a child of this unseen force that was chasing him down a forest path, I believe. It's very dark. He can't see what the thing is. And he was having this recurring nightmare. And one night before going to bed, he remembered that he would probably have that nightmare again and decided he was just going to roar at this thing, whatever it was. And I remember that was the last time he had that dream because he was running down the path in this dream and at some point remembered his advice to himself, turns around to this invisible thing and just roars really loudly. And apparently he woke himself up. But the feelings of triumph and control that he expresses when telling this story indicates how capable people are within their dreams, which is really interesting because, of course, lucid dreaming is a thing. I've heard it takes a lot of training. I've heard it also requires writing down what you dreamt about the previous night as soon as you can because, of course, we forget most of our dreams very right. quickly after waking up. I've also heard from some people that you can write something on your hand before you go to sleep, and if you remember to look at your hand in the dream, you should look down and see nothing written on it and remember that you're dreaming as a result. But of course, this isn't strict science, and it's not proven right. because dreams are so hard to study. I do think they are interesting in that sense. I'd also like to ask you, because we had talked about this a bit, often dreams can take on a sexual tone, and without being explicit in this episode, I personally have had very few dreams of sexual action but often there's sexual tones to certain dreams in which I know that something's sexual or even strange actions in which <laughs> bodies are far, far apart from sure. one another seem to be in some way sexual, like playing a game of cards is very abnormal. But the interesting thing to me is that sexuality is a human means of socializing in many ways. Obviously, it's not the same as talking to someone, but it involves another human being. And I think that it's curious because in our dreams, we are alone. And so we're contemplating this thing alone. And I feel like many people have at various times in their lives, uncovered elements of their sexuality or contemplated elements of their sexuality unwittingly through their dreams. And I think that's very intriguing. And I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that. I certainly have had very sexual dreams. It's not a frequent occurrence for me, fortunately or unfortunately. 
But uh, my sort of take on that is that in terms of dreaming, certain feelings and urges that you may repress to some degree are realized. So if there's something that you've been thinking about a lot, but sort of not trying to think about or something that has crossed your mind that you don't necessarily pay much heed to, but that to you might have some greater importance for whatever reason, whether or not you need to realize it just to get past it, or it's something that you should pay more attention to, those can sort of be manifest in dreams. I guess for me, it's more just sort of trying to pay attention to things that happen and sort of think about, for me, why did I dream about this? Like, for example, if I dreamt that I really, really, really needed to talk to somebody, whether it was a specific person or not, I would try to think about, well, is there somebody that I need to talk to? Is there somebody that I need to apologize to? Is there somebody that I owe an explanation to or that I just really need to ask something? And so even when it comes to sexuality, for me, my take, which obviously is up for debate, is that there are things that you think about that you don't really think about, if that makes sense. Absolutely makes sense. So dreams for me are sort of a way for my body and my mind to remind me whether it's obvious or not that there is other stuff going on that I am totally unaware of that I might need to be aware of. I think that's interesting. I've often heard that the mind absorbs a lot of information and we selectively choose what to focus on. And I think it's possible, although I'm no psychologist or expert, that dreams are the mind's chance to filter through all of the information that's been taken in. Of course, sleep is really important to consolidate memory. And I've heard that people who don't Absolutely. get enough sleep have greater issues with memory. And I wonder if, to any extent, dreams relate to memory and how we sort of consolidate all the information of the previous day and try and filter through and let our minds decide what we should retain, what we should focus on. I think it's very interesting that you talk about people you need to talk to or wrongs you need to right. I've had similar experiences where I dream about someone being angry with me and the next morning I think maybe I do need to talk to that person I haven't really thought about that and that has led me to have conversations that I think were necessary to have so I'm glad that you brought that up one final thing I wanted to touch upon in this episode is the extent to which dreaming has influenced our rhetoric and how we communicate with one another and how language has been impacted by the experience of dreaming of course if someone asks you about your ambitions in life many people will say, Zach, what's your dream? What do you really want to do? I think that's interesting. Similarly, we also tell people if we've been in terrible accidents or situations that it was a nightmare or it was nightmarish. And I think that, again, says something about the context or the validity of dreaming. What would you say to that? I would say that it totally makes sense to me because dreams for some people historically have become realized to the point that they have to this day been remembered as impactful historical moments. Whether or not Martin Luther King Jr. had an actual dream the night before he gave that speech or leading up to that speech, the famous I Have a Dream speech, of course, you know, is sort of up for debate. But I think that the fact that we use that rhetoric is sort of indicative of how influential dreams can be on our day-to-day -day lives and how infinite the possibilities of dreaming are. Whether or not it's realizing that you need to talk to someone, whether or not it's realizing that something that you've done is okay and that you can be forgiven for it, or letting go of something terrible that's happened and sort of finding closure. I think that dreams have this possibility to not necessarily be used as a tool per se, but that they are more important than many people think they might be. I agree. Those are all valid points. I think dreams not only humanize us, but as we've mentioned in earlier moments, we're alone in our dreams. Even if we recognize certain people 
Often those people can be stand-ins for others, and of course we don't have control over their actions and sometimes our own within dreams, but I do think that sense of isolation and solitude can be read as independence, that your dream is your landscape or dreamscape to determine what's going to happen and to be an actor and an agent in the environment in which you find yourself. And in many ways, people referring to life as a dream, I think is a lot of merit because life, like a dream, is sort of somewhere you just find yourself one day. It's not really a place you venture into or fully comprehend at any early stages and you have to work your way through it. Before we conclude the episode, do you have any questions for the audience or things you'd like them to consider when it comes to dreams? Yeah, I'd just like to clarify that I don't consider myself any sort of learned person when it comes to dreams. I'm just somebody who has happened to have a lot of weird and crazy or influential dreams. So let it be known that I'm not a dream expert. But at the same time, I think that in terms of people who are listening now, if you get the chance, try to remember your dreams a couple times. You know, write them down, keep a journal for as long as you can, because I did that for a while. And it's really kind of cool what happens. You know, the more you write down your dreams the next day, even if it's just like jotting down a couple notes as soon as you wake up, the more vivid your dreams become increasingly to the point that every single night you will be having dreams that you wake up and remember just from jotting down some stuff in the morning. So try it a couple times. It's really, really cool. And I mean, dreams can be really therapeutic. If there's something that uh, you need to work out, who knows, you might be able to do that. I completely agree. I think the phrase sleep on it has some value in things like this. People should often say dream on it because you will often discover things you hadn't been considering. I would as well urge people to write down the dreams they've had and to think about how valid or maybe invalid some dreams are. Should we give them any merit in our consideration in our everyday lives? What role do you think dreams play in your life? I would love to hear. And of course, if you have any comments on this episode or any ideas you'd like to share on dreams, we would love for you to reach out. We want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. Our Twitter is at Stride N Saunter. Our Facebook account is Stride and Saunter. You can email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com, and we encourage you to visit our website, strideandsaunter.com. And of course, Zach, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Of course, happy to have you on. And as always, we thank you for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off. Dream on it.